right, all right. You guys, it's Chase. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the show. And I am pumped. I'm a huge fan of comedy. I don't know if you guys know that or not. And my guest today is a professional stand-up comedian. Uh, you know his stand-up work, I'm sure. And certainly, if you're at all interested in animation, Bob's Burgers, mega hit. I don't know how many umpteen seasons we're on right now. But my guest today is the inimitable Eugene Merman. I have had the good fortune of knowing Eugene for, I'd say, I don't know, half a dozen years maybe. What an extraordinary human. In this episode, we're able to cover a lot of ground on the process, the creativity behind, beneath, alongside, within comedy. And I've never heard it described quite like Eugene talks about it. We talk literally about how you write a joke, you know, what, the, what he does tactically, like he sits down in front of his computer, all the way to managing complex narratives and where to draw inspiration and information from one's craft. And that's a side of comedy I've never really seen. I haven't taken classes in comedy or improv. I have taken a couple of improv classes, I guess. But I just, Eugene does, you know, shares this stuff with us in a way that's super accessible and something that I really appreciated. We also talk about he was born in Russia and the impact that emigrating to the United States had um, both on his childhood as a, as a source of sort of joy and heritage, but also frustration and material for his comedy, for example. This, like, how he gathers material from pop culture and what inspires him to create comedic routines, I loved that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop, back up, and I'm gonna let you guys listen to the one and only Eugene Merman. And it's an, an, an incredibly insightful, inspirational, and, uh, and pretty damn funny episode. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, a quick word from the sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Hi. Thank Hi. you so much. This has been a couple years in the making. Yeah. Yeah, finally we're here. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Megan. Thank you for introducing us. Um, I had the good fortune of connecting, well, I was probably in Seattle a number of years ago, but uh, I want to open with a little story. And the story is sure. very simple. It is 
We're sitting in, in Provincetown. Yeah. We're having uh, lobster rolls in the summertime. It's just, it's just, it's... Um, Cape Cod. Yes, up on Cape Cod. It's just mm-hmm. epic weather, perfect day. And, and we're sitting there, we're talking, and someone walks over. I think it was even a server. It's like, one of you guys sounds just like Gene on Bob's Burgers. Didn't put your face with your voice. Right. And we kind of each one. I was like, "Was it me? Was it me?" And then, of course, you open your mouth, and right. it was just—it was shocking to me that. I mean, I know you're—you're you're human, right, and most right. people who watch you on stand-up know your face. But how, is it weird to have a voice that is like? I mean, no, no, uh, is it your best feature? What I mean? No, I mean it's no water than anything else. Meaning, some people know me from that. Some from you know, flight of the Concords or delocated mm-hmm. or stand-up, and it's sort of all. Becomes a, a mishmash. The blender, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely now a lot of people from from Bob's Burgers and and yeah, and people do hear my voice and they go like, "Oh, that's weird. You sound like that guy." And then <laughs> I am like, "I am that guy." Does it ever happen on the phone with uh, customer service like Comcast? It has not. <laughs> I, it maybe has. I f- I feel like occasionally at the end, maybe somebody will go like. We're not supposed to say this. It's more like in a store or something where they're like, uh, my boss will kill me, but I really like you. I'm like, why would your boss be mad? But anyway, like, you like yeah, yeah. Like, I would, like I would call back angrily and be like, your employee said they like me. I'm furious. Uh, um, let's go early yeah. career. Yes. Uh, so this, the show, uh, you know the show we talked about before, but it's a lot of people yeah. who are aspiring you know, they want to live their passions and they might be locked up in a cubicle farm somewhere. We're trying to right. get them out of that. Or they're their lifelong creators or entrepreneurs and they're trying to figure out their next move. And so sure. not only are you inspirational, but I, I like to unpack early childhood and help people understand sort of what it takes to take that step into your dream. So right. take me back. So, so well, I started stand-up basically, uh, you know, the summer after high school. And then I went to Hampshire College where you can design your own major. And so I majored in comedy. <laughs> and amazing. did, you know, I mean, when you're piecing together a major like that, you're sort of just doing what you think might work. So, um, you know, I did stand-up shows at random. There was like a Chinese restaurant there uh, in Hadley, Mass, where I did stand-up and at sort of coffee houses on campus. And Eventually, I ran a weekly show because my thesis, my final project, was a one-hour stand-up act that I sort of wrote and produced and performed. And it's funny doing something like majoring in comedy because basically what it turned out is all the different... Like, I sent out press releases. Like, I faxed press releases from whatever, like, computer I had, which was my first computer that I'd ever had, like, my senior year. And I didn't know if it would work, and I just faxed every newspaper in the area, college papers, whatever, and, and, and regular papers, and was like, there's a kid doing a stand-up comedy show as his major. He's crazy. And then... How'd uh, that go? I mean, well, I first of all, got, they got all printed little, like, little things about it. Like, they all, like, and then, you know, there was one, the UMass paper wrote a story about it, and then the, the like, sort of, like, weekly paper, not weekly, daily paper of the area, like sent a reporter and like wrote a little like article about it. And then I was like, oh my God, you can tell the press about things and they'll come and write about it. But note to self. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I moved to Boston, I would constantly fax things to the Boston Globe and to um, 
you know, various radio stations. And I remember what, and like, and then it started where like, there was like a section that was like names and faces, which was like their kind of like Boston Globe's like celebrity section. And they would start like reaching out and going like, what are you reading this summer? And I remember saying that I was reading, I think it was like, I forget, like Wolverine and Kitty Pride. It was like some like <laughs> comic that was like probably like at that time, 10 or 15 years old. Uh, a mini series, and I think they printed it. I think it just said probably like he's reading like Anna Karenina and Wolverine <laughs> and Kitty Pride this summer. Um, but it was, but, so I did. So I did all that stuff, and I would, you know, I had. I always found it easier to start a thing than to become part of something. So I had a weekly show for a while um, in Cambridge at a place called the Green Street Grill. Um, I had a weekly show there, and I would hand out you know, like a thousand flyers for it. And eventually I had a show on the third floor of a Chinese restaurant um, in Harvard Square, uh, the comedy studio, which had, you know, been a, a club there for a long time and is now moving. But me and Brendan Small, um, who created Home Movies and Metalocalypse, and Patrick Borelli, who's now a writer at Fallon, the three of us had this, you know, weekly show. But I would hand out, I would just go and hand out like, you know, a thousand flyers. I sort of... What I did largely was basically like everything I thought you could do to try to become a comedian. You know, at the time it was the mid and late 90s and comedy had largely crashed in, in like stand up. Like, yeah, because that was like early Richard Pryor big stuff, right? Right, or even like the 80s had so much stand up and then kind of as the early 90s approached a lot of it, like, you know, uh, there was just sort of a saturation of tons of people doing, you know, I was just starting, but but there was like all these people kind of, you know, wherever you could put a microphone, they'd have a show, but you often wouldn't have enough comics that could do stand-up well. <laughs> so it just kind of became so saturated, I think, that it kind of died. And by the time I started, I didn't have a particular, other than I knew I wanted it to be a career, I didn't really have an expectation of, this is what it should be, or this is how it would work, you know. And the thing about Hampshire that was great was that you would basically set a goal, and then you would just do all the stuff you thought you could try to make it work, and then you would do more of what worked. You know, I would send out more press releases because it turns out that's a thing you can do, and that people would write about you, and then they'd send a reporter to write about a show, you know, and... You know, so that was sort of the early days, and I did that for a while in Boston until eventually moving to New York. Because are you, I, are you still faxing people? I <laughs> seems like I, faxing was a big part of you. I know it's true. I'm like, <laughs> I have, I have like, what you guys need is like a what's a God, what is it? Morse code. Anyway, uh, telegraph. <laughs> like, if you were to, yeah. if you had only done this show in like 1898, you'd have basically Mark Twain telling you about how to telegraph newspapers. Um, so I, no, but you're right. I have, I have said like the key to success is faxing, which is maybe not today's lesson. But I guess I see it as the, the lesson being just uh, do, all, do like 20 different things. Do more of what's working. And then, yeah, see what works and try different stuff. I think it's more about having a goal and then trying different ways to, to, to just make it happen or get closer to it. I think that if you look at, or for me, like, if I look at any, like, day or something, I'll be like, oh, I maybe didn't do anything or it feels like I didn't do anything. But if I look at, like, a week or a month, then I'll see these things that I sort of did that moved a goal closer. Yeah. 
Um, and I think a lot of it is that. It's this sort of like, um, it's about just having a sort of slow, steady, long-term kind of thing that you're slowly working towards, as opposed to thinking, like when people talk about like someone's break or anything like that, that always seems weird to me, because I think of nothing as like, I mean, there's things that you can do that are helpful to you, but without it, there's probably 20 other things that could have been or, or might be. So It's a little know. bit more of the daily drumbeat. So goal plus daily drumbeat. Um, yeah. Did you have a sense while you were doing that? I think so, in, in, implicit in there are two concepts I want to focus on for a second. One is that you sort of made your own luck, right? You, you were, yeah. you had a goal and you, shit doesn't happen if you don't promote it. So you had to find a way to promote it, right. whether it's faxing well, there was, or smoke signals or whatever. Right, or, or like there's modern. no <laughs> reason for someone to come to a comedy show of some guy that they don't know about or a group of, of people that you don't really know about. So you'd try to convince them that it was, you know, and then people would come and then they'd tell their friends and, you know, then it was all that. Was it lonely and dark and slow? Or was it just a um, rocket ship? Well, it wasn't lonely in the sense that there was a bunch of comics who, you know, around the same time, we all had, you know, a similar sort of ethos and goal. And, you know, when you're building something f from there not being, like, much of an audience, in a sense, it only just slowly gets better. You know, and, this, and I did the same thing when I was in New York, you know, me and Bobby Tisdale and Holly Schlesinger, who is a writer for Bob's now. Um, and I knew from Boston, she booked the show Invite Them Up that Bobby and I did. And that also took, you know, a year and a half or something to like, you know, you, again, you, you know, this is also sort of before social media. So even if like someone was going to stop by who was popular and people would want to see, there was largely no way to tell anyone yeah. <laughs> that they were coming. The you know, I used to have like a weekly AOL email that I would send out. I love it. Um, and uh, I forget if I, I'm like, I don't know if I fax press releases in New York. <laughs> I might have emailed them. At this point, I might have, I might have switched to email because that, that had probably taken over. Because your Hotmail account was just cracking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that's one thing that you need to make your own luck. Um, and, I, you know, the folks at home who are just starting or hitting a road bump somewhere, fact that you were out there promoting there wasn't some fancy machine as you sending faxes or, right. or flyers or whatnot. Uh, I think that's a great takeaway. Also, um, you talked about, in a sense, it was iterating. Like you try something, you, if it's working, you do more of it. If it's yeah. not working, you do less of it. Yeah. Is, and that, also, is that across everything? Is that the, the craft? Is that the... I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, more are you... I guess it just depends what the goal is, um, meaning, say the question again. So you want to, um, for example, with promotion, yeah. 500 people show up, like, oh, what did I do? You're deconstructing yes. your success at totally, all Totally, but a lot of it also is like, you know, I remember when I first, so I did this show at the Green Street Grill, and the somebody from the Boston Phoenix, which was, you know, to me, like the paper I grew up with as a kid, it was like the Village Voice of Boston. And somebody came, and they wrote a story about it. And I was like, oh, my God, here we go. This is now, now finally there is a story in the paper about this fun comedy show that I'm doing. And I remember the following week, you know, four people came as a result of that. There was maybe like eight total, but okay. four from the paper, and then four that were friends. And uh, I was like, oh, I see. This is not, it's all a very long, slow. So, so, so you sort of like, you know, you have what, or to me, like, was a success, which is this 
you know, articles Mainstream. right up. But then I, you know, photocopied that article and put it with like a little flyer and like ha would hand that out. And, you know, it all sort of, you, you, you sort of do what you can. Um, uh, but, 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 but I definitely remember being like, now this is the thing. And this then is it's my like, big break. And then it's like, oh, nothing is. And, and, and everything like, you know, if you think of whatever like comics who are on a show that's like, you know, from 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you think of it as the biggest thing, and then, like, it's, you know, some shows stay forever with people and some don't. So yeah. it's sort of this continuous thing. I think when you freelance, you believe, in a sense, that everything can fall apart. And I don't know that that <laughs> feeling ever leaves you. <laughs> even if it's, like, f fine. And yeah. by all, like, observation, you'd be like, well, that's a crazy thought. Like, I definitely have friends who I'm like, who in my head, I'm like, you're wildly successful. Like, how could you possibly be anxious about something changing? And then it's like, oh, I guess it's just forever, that anxiety. I wonder if that's a human, is that, a, is that people like that become sort of creators and entrepreneurs? Or is it when you're a creator and entrepreneur and you've had the rug yanked out from under you a couple times, you start living? Right. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Observation. Yeah. Um, you're, I don't know, I think, it, I don't know my comedy genre as well as I sure. should. I just, it's all funny to me. But... You, it's the next title of my album. <laughs> you, you, uh, I think it's, it's actually, uh, I read this once, observational comedy. Is that right? Sure. Meaning my like, comedy? You, you bring in shit that you find in the world. Oh, that's, yeah, I mean, I do, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, and I will say that partially it's because, you know, when I was in college, you know, there wasn't like a stand-up scene. There was just sort of like, I ran a show, but I would just ask anyone I thought was funny to like tell a story or do something. Yep. And so I would basically try stuff in front of, you know, whatever audience. And some of it was jokes, like a sort of straight-up joke. And sometimes it would be a letter or sometimes it would be some weird thing. And basically if it, you know, made people laugh, um, I would keep it. And if it didn't, I would try to change it or get rid of it. And so it was that sort of trial and error thing. But then as a result, you know, a lot of my act is like, you know, here's a letter I wrote or here's like a weird thing I did or I recorded this. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah, it's, it's become, you know, a range of everything from here's an observation or here's a story, here's an anecdote, and then here's some weird sort of like internet not prank, but like sort of bit. Like I no, made a LinkedIn profile, or I made did this, but then I really do it. Or like here's like a calendar I made of paintings, or I tried at some point to get paintings into a Whole Foods near my house because they said they were going to partner with local artists, and so I made a bunch of paintings. <laughs> and the closest I got was when I, I got to perform that bit on Seth Meyers, and then that like escalated my like how close I was, and they. Like, had set a meeting, and then it clearly fell away. Like, they definitely did not want to put my stuff up next to the broccoli. But it was very close to being discussed. And I kind of was like, well, I mostly wanted to make the joke. And More than I, that. I, well, I, I would be very happy to have had it. And I had a lot of people being like, will you put the paintings up at, like, our cafe or gallery? And I was like, no, no, I really just want them at this Whole Foods. That's sort of the joke. But... Anyway. Well, what about the LinkedIn profile? Because I think I've heard that bit. Tell me. Yeah, so that was basically, and it's funny, once I think I did it on, the, on like a special, then LinkedIn was like, oh, you can't actually. <laughs> but I basically wrote service. that I was the VP of PP of Verizon. And it like, when you're filling it out, 
it, it like, you know, like a little drop down things like, do you mean this Verizon, like the official Verizon? And I was like, yes. And so as a result for, you know, two years or whatever it was, like I would get a lot of like, you know, join this organization of vice presidents and like, here's other offers for you. And they'd all be kind of within my area, various vice president <laughs> and similar roles that they would be pitching me. And I imagine recommending me to whatever company where like Pfizer is like, oh, I don't know, oh, the vice president of VP from Verizon, he would be perfect to run. So, uh, yeah. Other, like, give me some more examples of that. So the LinkedIn, I had heard the LinkedIn one. So right? I took out Facebook ads at one that's point. The one yeah, oh, yeah, okay, so, so I took out Facebook ads um, because you could just target, like you could be, you can go like, I want people who like hockey and Bell and Sebastian. And then you could put some really weird ad. And then here's the funny thing. You can also direct. I don't know if this is still true. This is, you know, I did this, what, five years ago? So you could, at the time, direct them to any website. So you could be like, I want this weird ad. Go hockey fans. And then sends them to CNN or sends them to the White House or a page or, like, your website. Whatever. You you, you could put it anywhere. Um, I don't know if that is still the case. I think it is. But... Uh, I guess the the assumption is no one will spend make, their money spend on. their money on ads for <laughs> for other people, but uh, but it also is very fun to play around with. And depending on how you do it, like so 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 you can be either charged with people seeing it or charged, I think, by clicks. And if you just do it where you just you don't care if anyone clicks on it, you just want it to appear, you can really reach a lot of people, you know. <laughs> It's very easy to reach thousands of people as long as clicking isn't what you're going for. Uh-huh. As long as you don't want to be fully effective with your ad. <laughs> While you're paying for the ad to go to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of, or or whoever. You can spend I mean, a lot I can't remember money. what I sent people to. Um, I think at times it was my site, but at times it was just whatever I thought would be funny related to the ad. And is that your primary source of comedy? Like I don't know what, it's it's a mix of that and anecdotes and you know th- yeah things things like it things that are that sort of interact with the world or are also you know I mean and, and a lot of it oh yeah you know what it was so the the reason I did the Facebook thing so a lot of it is triggered by something so the reason I did a Facebook thing is because I I can't remember if this was when my cat had died or before my cat had died but basically ads possibly before started popping up for cat cremation service at your home. And and it was oh or sort God. of like cat, like funeral, pet funeral stuff. And I was like, <laughs> and then the thing that made, and it was literally, I think it was meant that they would come to your home and take, I, I don't know, the way they presented it is that they will come to your house and burn your cat <laughs> is definitely how in its confined messaging Read and so I was like, okay, how does this happen? What have I been looking up, or has it just overheard? You know, this is also several years ago when I think the idea that Facebook you're talking into you. your phone, you didn't, you wouldn't think, and I, or maybe it's at the beginning of you're talking and it picks up, like you constantly going, oh no, my cat is dying, and then it's like, I got something for you. We'll come to your house and we'll burn your cat, <laughs> and so that, and then LinkedIn. Similarly, it was like tons of. For whatever reason, I think either people I knew or something, or I'd constantly get these like requests. Like I think probably people putting it in their address book in or something. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need. Like I'm not putting my resume out. And then finally, I was like, fine. 
I'm going to put I will. I will join LinkedIn. And I then went through and did all the stuff. And was like, oh, you can write anything you want. Hmm. This is a lot more fun than I thought. Because I'm not trying to get a job. Uh, so we're in a 90-degree turn. Yeah. Um, part of comedy, you know, of course, there's the laughing part. There's mm-hmm. the joy. The, I mean, I've seen you do karaoke. It's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what about... The hard parts of comedy. I think there's so much comedic genius that comes, you know, it's, it's, it's a topic in our culture mm-hmm. that it comes from a lot of pain, a lot yeah. of struggle. Um, what, what, what sort of connection do you have with that and or what, what should the folks at home who don't understand that or what, help bring some insights to I mean, I think that it's... The comedy tragedy, or I don't know. What yeah, I don't know. I mean... That's it's kind funny. of I'm, I'm like, what? Help us understand it, because I'm, I consider myself an outsider to the comedy scene. I right. love it. I appreciate the craft, and I see the connection between like. Well, I think pain. that it it comes out. I mean, everyone's comedy is from some version of their experiences, yeah. and you know how they sort of process it. So I think that you know I do some stuff that's sort of like. But personal things are, you know, starting to do things that, that yeah, that, it, like, come from sort of, I guess, tragedy. But also, you know, even the, like, sort of angry letters I write or whatever, like, it's all about, like, your frustration or whatever it is. And there's some comics who are, like, like, I don't know if you've seen Patton Oswalt's last special. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And he talks about, like, his, you know, wife dying and, and it's... A lot of it is very, very funny and very touching and, and very sad. Um, but I think that it's just to every comic, there's whatever inspires them. So some people are particularly good at, at sort of reframing you know, pain or um, processing it through the funny parts of it. And there's you know, funny, um, all of it. Like lots of, like Paul Tompkins has a really funny story about his mom's funeral. Um, and, you know, so everybody has kind their of... Their news or their thing. Yeah, their yeah. thing. And some people do more of that, some do less. It's, you know, I, I don't know that they're... I don't know that everyone's tortured, per se. I mean, yeah. everyone has tons of sad things, and some people turn that into comedy. But some people, you know, lot, like Stephen Wright or, like, Emo Phillips, they do these sort of incredible one-liners. And it's not like... Yeah, and, I, I, and I wouldn't be like, I bet those I'm, guys feel no sadness. <laughs> but that's why I'm asking, right? Because it yeah. seems like, I don't know if comedy over-indexes on tragedy or over-indexes on pain, and I'm hearing you don't think it does. I mean, I but think... Why, culturally, I think that's a concept. Right, right, but that's because no one, like... But that's, like, because the idea that, like, comics are sad is ironic, and the idea that, like, firemen or lawyers are sad, nobody, like, nobody cares. <laughs> Like nobody, Firemen like nobody, yeah. Strong. Like how much there's so much water around you, and yet, like I don't know. So I think that the well, that's great. This is helpful. I mean, I th- yeah. So I, I I think that it's and also each person can consume whatever comedy they like. So if you're someone who really likes sort of like very personal or intimate comedy, that you know you could do that. If you like sort of silly stuff, you can, you know, and and, and some comics are a mix of it all. You know, sure. Um, so that's yeah. range. That's like range in acting or range. Right. In- but yeah, and some people do, you know, like in acting, they'll do lots of different characters. Or some people are just very good at, uh, you know, are kind of a similar person, but emulate different emotions. Is it too um, inside baseball to talk a little bit about 
uh, when you were talking about reading for Bob's. Yeah. That there's this other layer of like well, math. Well, that isn't, it's, that's for them to animate. No, I'm happy to right. describe. I mean, I only saw it once, but I'm happy to describe it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by yeah. Of course, and it makes sense now that you're talking right. about it, but it's, it's a thing that I hadn't ever heard before. And that's part of what I want to do in the show, is take people and they're like, what? There's someone who thinks about mouth shape right. relative so, to sound? So of course we there go is, in, right? Yeah, so we go in and record. So I'm generally actually in Boston, but sometimes in L.A. or New York. But we record on an ISDN line, all of us at the same time, you know, on Wednesdays. And... You know, we record together, and we get to improvise, and then we do the scene as written. But then, you know, and I just saw this for the first time. They sort of showed the breakdown. It takes about nine to twelve months to make an episode, and they nine have to twelve months. And they have yeah. So they have so they I think do like this very rough sketching, and then, but like, but they break down. They basically break down every syllable to the like one of the like eight or something like mouth shapes. And then they write it out, and you kind of have every noise that's being made, and and it's like, and the number that correlates to the mouth shape, and they do that for you know the whole episode. So it's this crazy detailed thing. Um, I mean, I'm sure that if like someone knows how animation is made, they're like, yeah, that's how you no make way, it. Of course. But I have oh, ne- had not seen it, and I was here at the like you know because I mo- I mostly don't record here, so then yeah, we're, we're in at LA the offices. For those folks yeah, we're in LA. Uh, as you can tell. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Enjoy the cityscape behind us. So you can yeah. hear the fire engines and the yeah. cop cars. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so it's this kind of neat uh, but very, very involved process that there was like more. I mean, again, I saw it for the first time. There, there was much more, but it was pretty incredible. Can you do other eight, eight mouth shapes? I, I don't know. I probably have just now with the, what I've said. <laughs> so just pause this. Other than maybe the Z mm. or O. Oh. Yeah. I I hope it's eight. There's some animator being like, it's Dude, nine. It's nine. I can't believe. Yeah, yeah. But if totally it is eight, me. wow. <laughs> throw me wow. The bus you really here. remembered that from that one time. Seems reasonable. Um, yeah. Go back to the source yeah. of your comedy. Yeah. Um, pop culture. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you you tell me. What do you what do you consider your source? I mean, I consider it experiences, and there's a certain, you know, the thing about pop culture, which, you know, which I'm sure I reference. I think it's more like I had a bit about um, banner ads on MySpace, and it was basically that they would create these very divisive ads, but the goal is just for you to click on it. They didn't care what like what you thought about the thing of course and you know i remember thinking like well this and the concept like makes sense but it's funny because myspace has gone away so i think that to me ads have not but meaning (laughs) sorry but meaning like i'll have references to a thing like you know that you're like oh that's not a thing anymore i mean not that you can't get it but meaning i probably wouldn't be doing a bit about myspace now um, even though it was, it's really about broader advertising. Um, so in terms of pop culture, I'm sure I have plenty of references, but I think because there's elements of it that are fleeting, you know, I try offhand not to too much, yeah. or something that's like so in everyone's consciousness that, you know, I mean, who could forget the A-team? And the answer is probably anyone born after 1998. 
<laughs> so. All right, so process. I'm obsessed with people's process. Mm -hmm. And you, you talked about in college, your thesis was an hour-long stand-up routine. Yeah. Um, tell me, take us into your process. Like, I don't, like, whatever the output is. Maybe let's not do anything about Bob's Burgers. Sure. That's his voice. You're reading yeah, yeah. his lines. That's, of course, a craft in and of itself. But let's talk about stand-up. Sure. So what's Eugene Merman's process for stand-up? I mean, it's sort of having an idea. And then sometimes it'll be, you know, like, especially these bits like LinkedIn or something. Though, again, that's maybe a little simpler. But, like, some things where I'll have an idea and then slowly over a period of months, I'll be like, oh, maybe I could try it that way or this way or, like, do this sort of thing with the ads. I mean, with, like, the Facebook ads, I think I tried different versions of... And you try to pack as many jokes in, so it's sort of like... And, and, and then trim it if it doesn't work. So at first you have, like, okay, well, you can write this funny ad, you can direct it at someone, you can, you know, have it go to a website or whatever, but then you kind of find, like, oh, is that too many things? Like, it's more funny to read the ads than it is to have, like, four other jokes on each one, but you can, you know, so there's sort of this trial and error. But even to come up with it or, like, what you might do or, you know, I sort of also started taking, I think, screen grabs of actual ads they had to sort of set up, like, this is the setup, this is what they do. And yeah. then of those also, like, do you read one, two, three? Like, you sort of do as many as are funny and then stop and then move on. So yeah. I think that a lot of my process is, you know, you have an idea or you have the thing that you know is funny to you and then you, you know, have to figure out how to make it funny to people. And I've certainly had jokes where, like, you know, I had a joke that um, a, uh, a teacher... So a friend of mine told me that when I was in elementary school, when we were in elementary school, that a teacher of ours told her to not be my friend because I was a loser, which is <laughs> awesome. And so like it took, so that's like, so it took me a very long time and I was like, well, that's really funny, but when you say it on stage, people either kind of laugh because it's horrifying <laughs> or, or it's sort of like, well, what's the joke? Like, you just gave us what is obviously sad information. Yes. But, and, and that's also funny. And, and, but it took me a really long time to figure out how to turn this, like, thing that I thought was a wonderful piece of sad, funny information into, like, an actual joke. So a lot of it is sort of time and trial and error, and you have these sort of ideas, and then... Are you writing these things? Yeah, I mean, I write them on my computer, but, but it's funny. Sometimes I'll go back and see the joke written out, and it'll you know, be a little more like verbose, or it'll have like four more things that are like kind of funny, but like they don't seem as conversational, or it, it starts to feel um, like a little written or jokey or yeah. forced. So, but, but I'll try to go back and rewrite it and have it all written out. And um, then, and then, how prescriptive? Sorry, getting yeah, super, yeah. super no, happy here. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. so you got an idea. You, you, you know, my fourth grade teacher told Sally to not yeah. be friends with me because I was a loser. Yeah, yeah. So you, you write that down. That's like the kernel of the idea. And then, are you just like? And then you try to figure out like what's the joke part of that? Like, how do you turn it? Or like the, I mean, and again, LinkedIn, like. So there's the section where you can write in your skills, and there's like the set, you know, each of these things has different little sections and, 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 and things, and you kind of, you adjust it. Here's five skills, and then you read them out. Do they make people laugh? Well, three of them do, two don't. Okay, well, let's switch two skills out. Oh, it turns out, you know, more like reading more than four skills 
in a row is to, you know, that's that's the cutoff, and then yeah. you can move on to, like, what were your previous jobs? And are you testing these on your friends? No, like no, on an audience. You test it all on an audience. Or, like, I don't try jokes out on, on my friends, because also that's not the, um, you're trying to see if it'll work at a club. Right, you know, different so environment. Yeah, you're trying to, and also, But you're like, saying this like it's so obvious to you, and I love, and to no, me no, this no. is like, I'm like. No, I know, I think people so have. You, you, have to, you have to take all your crap and air it on stage every time. I think so. I mean, some people, sorry, when I say that, what I mean is some people definitely do try their joke, tell their jokes to each other or comics mm. or uh, friends. I just, for me, that isn't, especially if I have, like, a thing where I'm, like, holding something up. And a lot of that stuff also, like, you know, it shows often, like, when I hold up the ads or whatever it is, it's mostly to just show that it's real. Like, I know yeah. that people can't really see it, per yeah. se, but they get that it's a real thing I did. And so I think that that helps the, yeah. the, the, the bit, uh, you know, the, the authenticity of, like, oh, I think he really, like, did yeah, do this or did make these stage. paintings. You know, you're holding up paintings, and they get that I really did make these paintings and genuinely reached out to Whole Foods <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so so you're you're writing these jokes out, yeah, and then you like how do you know what twenty minutes is? Are you practicing in the mirror? Well, it doesn't it matter. Meaning, if you're like, uh, so it matters if you're doing it on television, um, in terms of like, you know, you need you know you have five minutes yeah. or sixty minutes or whatever it is. So then you need to know that everything, but but also stuff's edited. So like, if for whatever reason. You know, in fact, I think my last Netflix special was a little over 60 minutes, you know, so you can do whatever, <laughs> especially now that it's changing. Yeah. But um, mostly what you try to do is make it f continuously funny more than, like, if I have 20 minutes, great. The, the problem isn't I made people laugh for 20 minutes, <laughs> and I need to only make them laugh for 10 minutes. Yeah, like, you made them laugh way too yeah, long. Yeah, that was too you. much. They really enjoyed it. Yeah, so you, I mean, really, you try stuff. And for me... You know, I know that I have, like, some of it is sort of unconventional, but often it is basically still set up in punchline. Like, yeah. I think people think of, you know, be, like, I'm still going, like, here's the premise. I made a fake resume, and here's my fake resume. You know, I took out ads. Here are the ads. And then you have, you know, so you have this one premise, and then you have seven jokes, and some of them are the ad itself. Some of them are about it. You know, so it's sort of, it's just like a dense bit. And you're talking about being able to practice in front of audiences. Yeah. Like you have an audience in the laundry room and you can just walk in there. And There's in, in most major cities or, you know, I mean, certainly in New York and Boston and L.A. or wherever, um, are lots of comedy shows that happen in the back rooms of various places and some are better than others and you can find them. The ideal show to me is a show where the audience, uh, one, like, when you're trying stuff out, yeah. it's basically like they, uh, you know, they, they probably paid a, s a small amount and they can, and you can basically, th th if it's not funny, they won't laugh, but they won't be mean about it. Yeah. Basically. There's, a, there's an understanding. There's right? an understanding, like, you're in there to try stuff and this is sort of, you know, it's fun, you know, and you can fail, you know, and they won't... Uh, They'll basically, you know, you don't want to perform in a room where people are just kind of laughing, which is rare. People will generally not laugh at a thing that's not funny, but yeah. some places they'll be very mean about it. Where you can't, where then it's like this sort of like, you don't want to fight drunks. You move verbally, <laughs> I don't mean. 
But meaning, like, you don't want, like, yeah. it can't be a room that, like, you can't get a sense of whether your joke works or and not. And so on the comedy, on the comedian side, they're like, oh, you got to go play at, uh, at Frank's Club because it's a great audience. Yeah. Oh, really? So that's Oh, like, yeah, yeah. If you have a very fun show in whatever city, uh, yeah, people will totally want to stop by and perform there. I mean, that's the, a thing that is good. Meaning, like, in the shows that I did various times with various friends, like, you, the goal is to build up a show where comedians would like to go and perform at. That's, and then the audience will come, or both. They'll each come to each other. Without factors. You don't even have to fact. Well, now, <laughs> now you can Insta Instagram facts. It Insta facts. Okay, so let's talk in uh, terms of sort of some successes and some failures. Sure. Because uh, there's a lot of fear around putting yourself out there and bombing. Um, right. And I think people are already cur always also curious about what sometimes what felt wildly successful to you or things that people didn't know or wasn't obvious. Sometimes like. You win a big award, of course, that's a big failure, a big success. Right. But talk to me a little bit. I want to cover both ends of the spectrum because I think that right. comedy is an esoteric thing relative to uh, building a company or designing a whatever. But there's craft and, there's, and that's why we're sort of trying to unpack comedy. Successes and failure. Right. Well, in terms of stand-up, you know, you can always fail. <laughs> like, and, uh, like on stage, meaning in... Uh, especially if you're trying stuff. Um, but then also in just environments, you know, I've toured with bands where sometimes it's good and sometimes it's, it's a real sort of battle. Um, and that's, you know, largely at the, be you know, sort of at the beginning of my career in New York um, when I would, you know, you, you sort of do again what you can. So I, you know, I did a tour with Modest Mouse, and that was, some of the shows were awesome, and then some, there was one in Miami that was just disastrous, and it was like a woman sort of heckling me in really weird, specific ways, where it was someone trying to convey, to, she was basically trying to convey Ayn Rand's philosophy without having known that it was that. She just kept trying to distract me and saying that she was like, lived a selfish life of like, like she was what? trying to get the band on earlier. It was really, but it, it was just super weird. And then also the room was insanely hot and it was yeah. just chaos. Um, and it was, you know, and it's, it's sort of, it's terrible. But on the other hand, there was other shows in like uh, Jacksonville that were really, really fun. So, you know, but you kind of put yourself in whatever, you just have to do whatever it is that will get you to the place where you're a comedian or you're whatever you want to be. Yeah. Um, you know, Is and, it small failures, like small having jokes completely flop on a regular basis that sort of builds up a muscle where you become well, you have, inoculated against it? Or? Well, I don't know that you... If, I mean, it depends. I think once you have some... Now, like, or if you do it, like I've probably done stand-up for 20-something years, so you, you know... I, I don't know that you have a joke. You either have a joke work kind of or not work. You you can be working it out and then it repeatedly sort of d doesn't. You would never have not never. You you largely wouldn't have the same exact thing not work because you yeah. would change it. And what what you could have is a joke that almost always works and for whatever reason you know whatever the environment is it, it doesn't. But that's pretty rare. Like people like I did a tour. A few years ago, with Flight of the Concords, and those are playing like much bigger venues. And I remember people being like, "Oh, do you have like a different act 
for like these shows, as if I have like one act that destroys in front of 10,000 people and I refuse to do it for <laughs> any smaller rooms. Um, so it's like, no, I have the thing that works. And like, you know, depending on, you know, the environment and if you're in a very hot place or whatever, there could be things that will kind of throw it and you have jokes that work better and that worse. But largely, if a thing works, it kind of works. But to get it to that place, you definitely go to these various other shows and you try stuff and you completely might fail. Or, or more often than failing, what you'd have is, you know, especially with like bits where I'm like holding up five things, I'd have like, Four that are funny and one or two that aren't, and then you kind of, you, you know, it, you you, you, you cut those and then you switch them out, and you know, um, so that there's that process. Um, so is it word for word, like when you when you walk out there, how much how much is like I'm definitely doing these three things, and I know I'm going to do these three things. Versus, I mean, obviously you're a trained professional improv comedian as well. So like, what? Yeah. Like um, how much of that is? It's largely. I mean, when you have a joke that works, it is sort of word for word, kind of, yeah. with with often the same pauses and you know affectations, uh, essentially, um, and then and then some other and then some things do sort of change or you know it depends. Like often, if you have a for me, like if I have a bit where I'm holding up thing or saying a thing, so sometimes the preamble to that might be different, you know, and that sort of stuff. And 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 it, for Miami here. And it might work better and worse. Like meaning, like uh, part of me is like, oh, I wish I. Partially is like, oh, I wish I did have a consistent thing, but, um, but also sometimes it makes it funnier and, and it makes it more organic to have sort of just like a, a, a setup that's not you know as set in stone as the rest of the bit. Yeah. Um, so, is is the Miami show with Modest Mouse your, your worst experience ever on stage? No. Talk talk about just. Just like dive. On. I mean, That's meaning, sorry, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> oh, you mean? Oh, my, you meant terrible. Oh, yes. No, I, I mean, there's terrible. lots. There's, uh, and I'm. And I know wait. we try and not think about it too much, but I just I'm trying to help focus on say, yeah, God, it's okay to. No, no, there's suck. lots of meaning when you're do, when you do stand up. I mean, there's years of. Just, I mean, I had an audition that I did okay. for Conan in like. 99 or 2099 probably in New York. Like I lived in Boston and came here and definitely bombed and someone heckled me and it was like I hadn't been on TV and it was sort of like this might be my chance to be on TV. Yeah. And, you know, it went terribly. And then, of course, the producer was very nice. was like, oh, you know, that didn't go, but like we'll have you back and look at you again. Like that's the thing about sort of this notion of breaks. Yeah. It's like, no, there... And I remember when I got Conan asking the producer, like, oh, like why, like, and it was this sort of thing where I got a call that was like, you know, I'd been auditioning for maybe a year and a half or something for them, and then I got a call that was like, we might need you on Friday, and I, and it was a Monday, and I was like, and I lived in Boston, I was like, sure, and they were just like, practice your set, um, and then I remember I they called and they were like, we do, we need you, we'll bring you down, and it, that was like, you know, this like a guy at the airport met me with a sign with my name on it, it was incredible. And I remember being like, why, like, why do you need me? Like, why do you need why this? Why why like, or like, <laughs> why do you need a comic to come from Boston to do this thing? And they were sort of like, we're just as excited to find you as you are to be on the show. Um, and it made me sort of realize that it was like, oh, yeah, that, like, you know, they're out looking for people. And they will, like, if you have five minutes 
that are funny that you can do on television, you'll probably be on television to do those five minutes. It makes sense for everyone involved. Was, um, there, was there a point where you had to put yourself out there where you went from just being in small clubs and doing that to like you had to decide to shift gears or was it very organic, uh, you keep stepping up? In the I had to. I had thought originally like that I was gonna live in Boston and I would move to New York once I got a job in New York. And then it became increasingly clear that that's not a thing. <laughs> that you can't get a job in comedy for, or you, not, not you can't, but it would be unlikely. Like I certainly know people who have, in fact, done it. Um, but it's not really... So, so, yeah, so I think at some point... And then the truth is, when I got to... I, I mean, here's, here's another great failure. Um, I remember getting hired to write... This would have, would, have, would have been my first writing job ever. It was to write for some show, I think, on, on VH1, maybe. Um, and being so excited, you know... It was probably 2000, 2001, uh, very broken, very excited. And then I went, like, you know, after I got the job to, like, get sushi somewhere. And it was, like, you know, $40, which was, like, definitely a percentage of my net worth. <laughs> like, a, like, calculatable percentage. And I was, like, this is awesome. And then the next day, there was an article about how uh, all these executives from uh, basically MTV and VH1 had been let go. Show went away. Everything was gone. And I was like, oh, I see. Oh, that was, well, that was a fun job that almost happened. And then you sort of realize how it's like uh, everything can always fail. <laughs> and is there some, to go back to the, I want a little bit more on that last question. So you have to ultimately decide that you're going to put yourself out there. and You have to throw your yeah. hat in the ring for the next level. Are there a series of levels, and what do you... And again, I'm, we're talking about comedy, but this is right. really about... Levels. Yeah, about everything in life. Like yeah. You have to decide that you want the thing. And how proactive have you been well, with that? And well, so I think just that like, I decided... Oh, I see. I mean, I would say that I, I guess like one thing that was probably convenient for me is that since I was a kid, I decided that I wanted to do comedy. So I've always basically slowly worked towards that. Um, but I, if I hadn't had that, I don't know, maybe it would be very hard. So for me, um, I at some point, I spoke at my college, at Hampshire graduation, you know, now five years ago or however many, and... Uh, Oh, and uh, this was actually from, I think, like I did some interview. This was a thing I said where people, uh, sorry, terrible <laughs> storyteller. Um, basically, somebody asked me what, what my backup plan was um, at, at like a college event, and I said that I believed a backup plan was the first step towards failure. <laughs> um, and, and I think of that, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, but I do think that there's an element of that that's true. Um, and again, it, it, it accounts for you, you know, like, you know, for many years, I didn't have any health care until eventually I could get it through freelance or whatever. So, like, partially I could do this because I happened to not get sick in my 20s. Um, but there's obviously things that, like, will set you back or change the course of your life that can't be controlled. But shy of those sorts of things, I had always kind of been like, I want to do comedy. So in terms of stepping up to the next level... I didn't have another thing I could do or wanted to do. And I think at each age, I was fine with whatever I had. So, like, I lived for a long time in a studio apartment or, you know, had, you know, 
like like meaning you you can you can really scale down uh, your life to a point where you're like this is fine. You're right. And then mean. at some point you're like this is madness. But then to me those things happened at stages where I would find work. So I would like write close to breaking. Somebody would be like, you want to make a bunch of web videos? I'd be like, yes, very much. You know, or like getting an agent. When I first got a booking agent, that helped me go from I didn't know exactly how I could make money to like now I could make $150, you know, a day. Not not every day, but enough days that I could cover rent. You know, so there's that. So I don't know if there's as much of a stepping up as a continued this the biggest thing to me was moving to New York City, which I was terrified of. And is that, do you think that's a requirement in this day and age now with the web? Or is there still just absolute pockets that if you're trying to, and again, this is, talking about comedy, but yeah, this yeah. is like universally, if you want to be in fashion, do you go to Milan? If you want to be in yeah. show business, do you go to Hollywood? If you, you well, know. well, I think it depends. So, you know, now with a phone, a, like a phone is better, you know, film equipment than I had throughout college or whatever, throughout yeah. life. Um, <laughs> Until two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of, uh, so I think it just depends. Like, what can you do? So I, you know, early on I made a website with uh, uh, an office mate of mine in Boston, Scott Bowers, who was a designer, and uh, he made, he, we took a, a photo of me from when I was four in Russia, and, he, and it was black and white. It looks like it's from the 1930s. And I sang and pitched a bunch of like classic rock songs in a really silly way. And then he animated the mouth. And that was like, you know, that was the late 90s. And that went sort of viral to the point at which um, uh, Pete Townsend from The Who emailed me and was like, <laughs> I love your Who medley. And I put it up on my site. And I sort of was like, I don't know what I was trying to do with this website, but it definitely worked. And I also had made these little videos um, that, uh, you know, also would go around and they were like one megabyte. They were like, this is before YouTube, so it's like 98, 99, 2000. And those would sort of circulate. So I did that, you know, in Boston because that, that's what was within my means. A lot of it was literally me talking into a camera saying silly stuff as different characters, uh, making this website. So in that sense, you can do whatever and and, and you can whatever's within your means. And if you can stay in Boston, you know, now I, I'm back in Boston. The reason I can be back home is because now I've created a career where I don't have to be in a specific location. And that's my situation. Uh, I definitely couldn't have done it without living in New York for, you know, 17 years. But um, so I don't know. So you don't, so you do or don't have to go to New York or LA. I think if you want to be a comedian, yeah. it would help to move to New York or LA for, 10 to 20 years, but... Just to put a little time just mark to, on it. <laughs> I mean, it depends what you want, but I know people who, you know, live in Texas and have a career, and, you know, it just depends what you want, um, what you enjoy doing. But there's clearly a scene that you have to be a part of, right? Don't you think? I, is there a thing, or is that still... I mean, it just depends. I'll call it a community, because a scene sounds too uh, trendy. Yes, I think I think being part of a comedy community, and certainly I was, and and, and remain part of a comedy community, um, yeah, I think that that's really helpful. But again, I think it's whatever works for you. So if you have a way, I think, personally, I think like in terms of comedy, if you're a comedian who can get on stage and kill for 45 minutes, you're just going to be a professional comedian. Someone will want to put you on television. They will want to... 
you know, have you do a show with them or whatever, you know. And admittedly, you need to be seen by people who would put you in those positions, but that isn't, you know, if you become, then yeah, you have to come to LA or New York for whatever period of time, the more people you meet, but it's like any job or anything in life, sort of, you know, you, yeah, you have to make inroads with people, but it's much more about being good at the thing you do personally, yeah. um, where, you know, you find, like, you can meet of, a lot of people, but if you don't got the craft, it's not going to Right, and I think it is much more about tenacity and craft. Like, I feel like people sort of talk about talent, but I think that, the, that the, there's people like you see who are like, oh, that person is like gifted at, at music and impressions and all these things, and that is clearly helpful. But a lot of it, I think, is really just tenacity. And there's plenty of people who are huge, who were like, you know, mediocre when they started, and then like really just... They go do 10 shows a night, and they just get better and better and better over years. And, and admittedly, that's also someone who has the time to do that. And what put them in that situation, I don't know. Yeah, you know? Or, or they create the time for themselves to do that. Right, right. But I mean, it means like they, you know, the people I'm thinking of, like, is before they have children. Yeah, you know, it's that sort of thing. and lived in a Yeah, and would like, yeah, or or like had four roommates or whatever it is, you know. I mean, and now also some places like New York maybe is particularly expensive. But I think L.A. and other cities, like you can totally live uh, outside of New York in a place that you can go and do comedy shows. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit, shift gears. This has all been about craft and about uh, sort of career and career arc and managing a lot of stuff. Talk about personal. So you referenced uh, being born in Russia. Yes. And what impact do you think that has had on you personally or relative to your career? Anything, you know, extreme positives or negatives? How do you... I mean, I think it makes me, um, you know, in certain ways very optimistic. Um, I think that uh, I have a very genuine belief in the American dream. Um, I, you know, I think of it as very practical and reasonable. which I think also is probably, you know, is, is helpful only in that even if I'm wrong, the belief that you can do a thing is probably so helpful to doing, doing the thing. Um, so I think it's had that kind of impact. Um, and then also it uh, created for a traumatized childhood <laughs> in terms of being like the Cold War, yeah. you know, and growing up with like Talk. Russia as the enemy. Um, in the, and, you Were know, you overtly the Russian kid at school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in sixth grade, I remember being blamed for um, when the Russians shot down a Korean, or maybe it was third grade, the shot, Russians shot down a Korean airliner. Uh, and definitely kids were like, you shot down a, a Korean airliner. And I was like, I didn't, but why are you threatening me if you think I shot down an airliner? Um, but yeah, there was like a lot of that kind of uh, thing of people thinking I was a commie, even though I really don't like communism because I'm one of the I'm people here. who left. Yeah, clearly, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, but that's not what, you know. Yeah, so there was tons of that growing any up. Deal, any detail you care to share about the, the leaving comedy, or leaving Russia? Russia? I mean, my par- you know, I, you I was you, four. You were like four, you're like, we're out of here, guys, pack your bag, parents were. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, my parents uh, were like, we should get out of here. Um, you know, I think Russia is, is a, you know, uh, some version of uh, anti-Semitic and communist. And and I think it just makes for a, a bummer of a time is the feeling I get. 
actual Moscow, right? Is that where you guys were? We were from Moscow, yeah, but I don't, you know, and I've, I haven't been back. And I know when I've, you know, I, I've wanted to, and I want to go, and, and hopefully at some point I will, you know, um, yeah. So, so, but, you know, my experience of coming here was mostly that I, you know, I, I don't remember Russia. I mostly remember here. Uh, do you still feel a connection there? You said you wanted to go back, but is that? Is I that, think it would be interesting. Or? Yeah, I mean, I feel a connection. Like I speak Russian to my parents and you know to some Russian friends and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mostly because I'd be curious yeah. because it, it's a country that I you know feel half tied to and half don't know at all. And. Has that in any way, is that material for you? Do you like, I haven't really heard you use any of that material. Oh, I and is, it, is there a reason like, that you're not tapped into that? It's just not. Well, no, I mean, there, meaning I, I think I've maybe mentioned or told stories, or I don't know. Um, there isn't a reason, meaning like the reason would be if I thought of a funny thing, I could, would certainly, if I thought of a jokes involving the Cold War, like from my, you know, from my experience as a kid, or you know, obviously Russia's in the news now, um, so it's like I easily could do something. But my reason for not doing anything isn't is basically that I don't have anything particularly funny offhand that I thought you of. You were four, right? Yeah, and and I probably, I mean, I feel like I've referenced it, um, and I've certainly actually like on home movie, or actually like, I say that I I haven't done anything, but I. Played a you know a sort of goofball Russian hitman slash stand-up comic on Delocated mm-hmm. on, on Adult Swim. So yeah. that's totally a use of all that. Like meaning I spoke Russian on the show, and, uh, and 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 there's other things where I've done like a sort of like Russian accent. So yeah, so so I've used it that way, um, but I haven't like you know done I guess regular stand-up. Was there a um, any particular events besides? Getting picked on for blaming the shooting down of, a, of an airliner, yeah. like yeah, yeah. anything else that really did impact your career, you feel like, or is it just a bunch of small, like the same things that we've all experienced? Like? I think it's like largely the kind of like the you know the way that everyone feels like junior high wasn't a great time. So yeah. I think like my version of that is that it, there was like a lot of Cold War stuff. <laughs> so it was like whatever goes into like being a weird kid. And at some point, also probably, it went from like, "Oh, that kid is like the like a Russian commie," to like, "That's just a weird kid. I don't like him." <laughs> um, and who knows? I might have also been annoying. Like, it's probably a whole mix of of everything. Um, and you know, but then as I feel like in you know, as I got older and everyone got older, it, it, just like everybody's experienced, most people I know, like, things got much, much better for them around 10th, 11th, 12th yeah. grade. Yeah. And I'm... Skin a little bit. And, yeah, and I think people are just, like, just a little older and, like, wait, like, I shouldn't be a monster. <laughs> like, why, why do I keep hitting that person in the face <laughs> or pushing st- them or whatever? So if... Um, all right. I think... Clearly, there's a pattern with your answers that there's a lot of different paths, right? Right. And, and I think you're probably wisely reluctant to ascribe any amount of success to a particular set of behaviors. There's a lot of luck involved. There's your past, your right. history. But there has to be some, like, what is a consistent thing that you feel like has, you, you, was it just declaring that you wanted to be a comic? Was it just... Rel- rel- relentless and ruthless effort toward the thing that you cared about? 
Was it all of these things, yeah. none of these things? Like, I think it's all that stuff. I mean, I think that the, the to me, luck is the part where like you're like physically able sort of to accomplish these things, and you have also, um, you know, you, you know, when I first lived in Boston, I, you know, worked at an ice cream parlor and I, you know, tempted Fidelity at one point, but I like when I was tempting at Fidelity, you know, I'd, I was answering phones and I would basically do it for two or three days and then call in sick the other days because my rent was $262. And so I was kind of like, all right, well I made that and you know, I can make like $80 from my comedy show and that's basically the money I need per, you know, for whatever, a week or something. And so, um, a lot of it was just like, yeah, you would have, you just had the bare minimum of what you needed and then you could do the thing. And also I was like 20 something and that seemed fine. Like a mattress on the ground seemed great. You know, great. I got who, yeah, who needs a frame? Um, and then at some point I was like, I oh my God, I need a frame. I'm 29 years old. I think box springs are overrated. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's a thing. But, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, that sort of thing aside, like, yeah, I think it's just, uh, yeah, just consistently doing, working towards a goal, basically, w within whatever is within your means. So that included for me making a weird website, making videos, putting them online, handing out flowers, sending out press releases, all while trying to be good at comedy. You know, all while trying to, when you came to the show, being like, oh, this is fun. This is a great way to spend an evening, you know. How about the people around you? Did you find that people around you were supportive? Did you have to seek those people out? Were there people that were haters and you had to avoid? Like, what? Um, Largely, I mean, largely it's a very supportive community. And I also find the idea that, like, comedy is competitive or something, like, uh, and I imagine most fields, to me, like, uh, not, like, not at all uh, the case. Where basically, like, I'm not up for the same thing. And certainly if you're making your own thing, no one's up for your stand-up. So like if I'm doing stand-up and I can do a good job, then that's what it, fine. Um, but yeah, I will say that like I remember meeting, you know, Bobcat Colthwaite early on, and he was very nice uh, through a friend Tony V, who's a comic in Boston, who would come to this show that, that that I did with friends, and he was really supportive. And he had been someone who like when I was in Boston, like he had been on Seinfeld and stuff, and he was sort of this like very uh, supportive figure and, and, and remains so. And then there's comics, you know, when I got to New York, uh, I toured uh, eventually with the with Stella, which is a, you know, comedy troupe of David Wayne, Michael Ian Black, and Michael Showalter. And right. they were really, you know, instrumental in helping me, as well as Patton Oswalt and David Cross and Todd Berry. You know, there's a lot of comics that, you know, uh, that, that you know that that will that that have been very supportive and very helpful and you, you kind of but you know John Benjamin and he's someone who I tour with now a lot and you know you sort of meet different people and then you find people you like collaborating with or touring with or people that you know there's comics that uh, that you that like I try to help you know and I think it's a very warm very supportive community personally yeah yeah I'm also guessing on that last line of questioning that you're but it sounds to me like you're reluctant to give advice. What do you mean? I'm just I'm picking that up from the, from just like I think you're get your. What's like, the advice? I guess like 
Yeah, I guess which is I, good. It's, no, no, it's no, in no, there, I, and I'm trying to, I'm drawing it no, out. No, no, clearly. I'm like, what? Uh, it's what's so funny is I'm like, no, I'm giving advice, which is do the thing. Like, like I, I think to me the advice is, you, whatever your goal is. I don't know if you want to be a filmmaker, find a way to make a film. If the only way you can do it is with your iPhone, do, do that. that. If you, you know, I think no, no one is stopping you from making a thing, and then try to figure out how to get that thing out there. Submit it to 25 festivals. If that doesn't work, make another film, write a script, take a script writing class. I don't know, I feel like my, my advice is do everything. And then when you're running out of time or energy, you know, f focus. But, but yeah, it's not that I'm not willing to give advice. No, I love it. My this advice is... is think of all the way, like think of the goal and then think of like five ways that you could succeed at that goal. And then try them and then, you know, narrow it down and then think of another goal, you know. I, I think that that's probably is that helpful. It's, it's beautiful, right? Like that's to me. That's a that's a you could put your arms around that. And it, what I'm also trying to connect, like it's the same for everything, right? Right. And and we make things a lot more complicated. I think you deciding that you're going to be a comic, and earlier you basically said uh, the best way to achieve Plan A is to to you know kill Plan B. Right. Like there is no other Plan B. Right. I also was 18, yeah. so I think like. If you're de like if you're like you know anywhere under the age of like 23 right now watching this like you can totally just start right now and you'll be fine. And if you're 40, you'll also be fine. Like I know people who started doing comedy when they were 40 and are now wildly successful. They just had so, to make some special concessions with their mortgage and their family or whatever. Or they were in New York and they had none of those things. <laughs> right. But 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 As yeah. New York often can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean uh, yeah, so my, my, I mean, my advice is that you should, in a thoughtful way, spend all your time trying to achieve your goal through whatever means you have access to. And, and think of what, you know, I think that people maybe don't think of uh, what, 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 their like, what their opportunities are, or what's in front of them. And I know that it's a terrible slog and there's so much failure and it's years of it, you know. I mean, I started when I was 18, so I got to fail, you know, for five years or six years even before I was even in a city, like kind of doing stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, a, that's a really so, important message. So, so I, do th I do think that like vaguely if you try to do a thing that within 10 to 15 years you'll probably succeed. Um, I, and, and, and I think that that's true with so many of the people I know around me. You know, most of the, most of the comics that I started out with Boston, in Boston who moved to either New York or L.A., I think they all became professional comedians. Meaning, and I don't know if it's a self-selective group or what it is, but I will say that virtually everyone I know is now either has a TV show or towards as a successful stand-up or, you know, works on a show. There's a an element of stamina, clearly. Right? I think it is largely, um, yeah, like stamina, tenacity, and then of course being good at your craft. Yeah. You know, I think that that is very important. But uh, something like ninety percent of the people I started out with in the late '90s are all uh, working professional comedians. Yeah, Twenty-eight years later. They just, yeah. it's, that's the stamina part, like they're still doing it. And you right. almost have no choice but to become good at your craft, assuming you're putting in the time. Right, and, and assuming energy. that, you know, yeah, nothing, you that, that you can do talent. it. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so let's shift gears and, and sure. look into the future a little bit. Yeah. Married. It's true. Child. Already, I'm already married. <laughs> yes, I have a child that I'm married. You're like, I'm just, just to clear, we're looking at the future, but you mean Today. like, you mean like a, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am married. Yeah, I have a child. Yeah. He's that, 17 months old. Your descriptor for him was he's large. He is, he is the size of, you know, a three-year-old, but he's 17 months old. Size wow. of a two and a half to three-year-old. Yeah. Wow. It's very um, big. Does that... Does that shape in your career in a new and different way? I hear you're out here working in some sunshine in L.A. and Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know. It, it's eight uh, degrees in Boston right now. I know. Yeah, somebody was like, sorry, it's, it's cold in L.A. And I was like, it is 70 degrees warmer right here. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, how is that shaping? What's the question? Was, yeah, no, it? just like, is that, does, do you feel different about your career now? And, and because there's a lot of folks out there that, that you know, the family does take yeah. pride over their career. I just wondered how you work those two things together. Well, I mean, part of it is that I've tried to create a career that is adjustable. Um, you know, so obviously, like, something like Bob's Burgers, which is, you know, a cartoon that I can record once a week. And then other shows, there's other cartoons and, like, podcasts and various things that I do that are... Um, that are very conducive to yeah. being home with a family um, and not having to travel as much. Um, though I am about to also go on tour for several weeks. But but yeah, the way that it's affected it is that I try to do stuff that it lets me be home more. Yeah. Um, and again, that's because I have a few jobs that allow that. I have a podcast for Audible and... Um, you know, so that lets me be home. If I wasn't, I'd probably be on tour more. Yeah, um, but you also, you do that out of intention, right? You want to be able to spend more time with yeah. the family. So yeah, yeah. What, what are things that aren't don't require me to be in Tuscaloosa? Today? Right, right. I intentionally try to do more of those things and meet with people who will facilitate that. Uh, yeah, so, 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 so that's true. Well, let's talk about some of those things. You got Audible. Let's talk about your tour. Let's talk about Audible. Um, and what else is in the making right now? Um, what else is? What do I do? Um, <laughs> I, uh, th- yeah, there's... I know you was a wildly passionate chef the last time we were together. I think you I do love cooking. Amazing, I now, I know, I know. Duck. I wonder if I have that photograph. You probably do have a photo of me holding a duck somewhere. <laughs> That's such a good picture. Yeah. So tell me about the Audible show, though. Uh, Hold On is a show uh, where basically comedians tell a story and I ask them questions throughout their story. Um, and I don't know, there's something like 50 episodes or so uh, that we've done there on iTunes and wherever people get podcasts and also on the Audible app. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson told a story about how he almost became a male stripper when he was in college to make money. Wow. So if you want to hear that story, I know I did. It's really funny. Wow. What episode is that? The Neil deGrasse Tyson episode. Yeah, yeah, that's what it will be called. And that one's, I think, not like meaning that one's just on Audible because they're releasing them in seasons. Sure. Um, so the, yeah, there's that show. There's a um, a kids podcast for WNYC that I do, um, you know, and stand up and so, I, I may, actually I had a f- comedy festival that me and my friend Julie Smith uh, did for ten years in New York, and though the festival had its last one, uh, we're making a documentary about it, so I'm working on that now. But again, that's like a thing where uh, we were. Film something, and now we can. I can, you know, watch cuts at home and give feedback, and yeah. you know, again, it lets me be home. Yeah. Um, so, of the, you told the anecdote about Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Presumably, that's a story he doesn't walk around telling all the time. That you are able to extract that 
brilliantly from him. Well, well, he came up with that as the story he wanted to tell. So I didn't. Wow. So, so the the way the podcast works is people have a story they're going to tell, and I sure. ask them questions. So he he didn't like suggest other stories, and I was like, how about this one? He was like, this is the story <laughs> I'm going to tell. I don't tell it a lot. So it was great. Do you have one of those for us today? Um. No could be the answer, but let's no, try and yeah, find no, one. No, uh, no. No, meaning I, I could sit and try to think of something. The way the, way the podcast works is that people are asked they beforehand. Know. <laughs> no, so I get sort it. of like. Are there, is there something that you have told to some friends that uh, you would share with us today? I mean, funny, like, I'm sure there is. <laughs> like, like, I like that it seems like. It's like it seems like I'm evasive, but I'm not evasive. You're like, do you have any stories? And I'm like, I I got, I've got many I stories. I am a professional storyteller. Offhand, I don't know. I don't know what a story because also what would come to mind is stories I tell, not like the stories I don't tell. I probably rarely talk about the, uh, you know, Korean airliner thing. So that was, but that's the whole story. What and what age was that? Just to replay that for a second. I think that was. I think it was eighty three that it happened. So I don't know. However, I guess I was uh, like eight or nine, well, which is way too young to shoot down a plane. Just just to be clear, from wherever you were. Right from Lexington, Mass, the birthplace yes. of America, a great place to come to from from Russia. It came to right to the heart of the American Revolution. Very hard to shoot down a Korean airliner from Lexington. Yeah, yeah, especially with the with the stuff I had as a kid. Yeah, which was maybe a kickball, <laughs> and. Like a, All right, so there's the yeah. audible. There's the audible show. Yeah, you got. Tell us a little bit about the tour. Um, I'll, I'll I, find you. I don't think I, I think it hasn't been announced yet. Oh, we can't um, talk about that. Okay, but um, but I will be doing tour dates. Uh, Do you have a favorite? I, I've seen you in San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, last time. Megan and Brian, Kate and I were uh, in Boston. We yep. saw you there. Do you have a favorite place to perform? I have favorite places. I mean, those cities are great. Seattle. Yeah, um, you know, the Roots. Neptune, uh, Bell House in Brooklyn, where I've done many, many shows. We've done our festival. That's like one of my favorite places. Um, uh, Paradise Rock Club in Boston, um, the Black Cat in DC, and Cat's Cradle in North Carolina is great. And then Austin as a city. Uh, so anyway, I mean, I like all the places that lots of people come to to enjoy comedy. <laughs> like I could keep naming. Uh, but I've also like had like a wonderful time in like Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Like yeah. there's tons of uh, sort of I don't know, just like smaller cities that are great. Favorite co-conspirators? Um, so Julie Smith, who I produce a lot of stuff with, um, we we did a festival and various shows together. She's someone I adore working with. Uh, you know, comics. Um, you know, John Benjamin and Kristen Schaal. Kurt Braun Oler. Um, there's a, a poet uh, who I adore, who I have open for me now, Dark Brown. Uh, he's really funny and just wonderful. Um, Was he, did he open for you at Sketchfest in San Francisco? He probably did, yeah. yeah. I, he's amazing. Really? I met him through David Cross and Amber Tamblin. Uh, he officiated their wedding, and uh, he's just amazing. He has this um, just an amazing way with words and, and, and like, to... I don't know. I think con- like convey things that it's probably like stand up in a certain way where like convey things that are very familiar, but you'd yeah. never thought to look at it that way. And this is a personal yeah. like I'm taking notes right now and I ask these yeah. questions for people like who do you like, and then we can yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of go off and explore that. So. Yes, those are um, yeah, Derek Brown, uh, really amazing. Um, so yeah, that's those are those are some of my f- favorite co-conspirators. I'd say. I love it. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank you so sure. much Thank for you. being on the show. I hope I have helped people become Their photographers thing. or uh, <laughs> or writers. No, I or, mean, like literally, the goal is to. Um, yeah. This is applies to anything, uh, and it's been such a treat to follow your career over a long period of time. And You're welcome. Occasionally yep. bump into you in random <laughs> yes. random ass places with our mutual friends. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming to LA. Or thanks for being in LA. Yeah. Time we're filming. Okay, have a good one. Awesome. Thank thanks you lot, so much. Thanks. Thank you. This was really fun. Bye-bye. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. I, I hope what I've said is fair and reasonable. Fair and reasonable. All right. That about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time, and whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out there, just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right, until again, uh, probably tomorrow, I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow, and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.